right, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 4, and we are in a series called The Lion Roars. And, uh, you know, there's a very uh, simple structure to the gospel of Mark. So Mark just has uh, really a couple of questions in mind when he's writing. And um, you, could, you could really divide the book into two parts, and it's neatly divided right at chapter 8. So chapters 1 through 8, there's 16 chapters, so 1 through 8 answers the question, who is Jesus? And then Mark 9 through 16 answers the question, what did he come to do? So who is Jesus, and then what did he come to do? So chapters 1 through 8, you see this, this recurring theme, this, you know, this repeated emphasis on the power of Jesus, on the sovereign rule and reign of Jesus. Everywhere he goes, um, you see that all of creation submits to his rule and his reign. And you see that in the first eight chapters. And then there's a transition, and, and that transition is right at the midpoint there. And then 9 through 16 really answer the question, what did he come to do? And so what we see, the answer to that question is Jesus came to serve. He came to die. He came to wrap himself in human flesh and sacrifice his life on the cross to demonstrate uh, the Father's love uh, for all of us. Now, this morning, what we're going to do in chapter 4 of Mark is we're going to see Jesus' power over the storm, over the storms of life. And if you've walked with Jesus for, for any length of time, you know that the Christian life is a, a life of joy, it's a life of peace, uh, it's a life of great blessing. And then the very next minute, you can find yourself in the storm. Can I get an amen to that? Like, it can just turn on a dime. And, and really what the what the scripture testifies to and what, what our experience really confirms is that storms are just a part of life. It's just a part of what it means uh, to be alive on this, on this planet and in, in this broken world. And so that's true if you follow Jesus and it's true if you don't follow Jesus. Storms are simply a part of life. And so that means it's imperative that you and I learn how to handle and how to endure the storms of life because we know that they're inevitable and that they're coming. And so what really makes a difference in handling the storms of life is knowing who Jesus is and knowing what he came to do. And once you understand those two things, you have the perspective, you have the grace and the strength and everything you need to handle life's darkest days and life's fiercest storm. So we're going to read a very common, um, you know, very common uh, passage today, one that you're probably familiar with. We're going to read chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. I'm going to ask if you're willing and able, would you please stand just out of reverence for the Word of God this morning. And so Mark writes, he says, on that day when evening had come, he, he said to them, let's go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him, and they said to him, Teacher, do, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they, they were filled with great fear 
and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? The grass withers and the flowers fade, but not the word of God. It lasts forever. You may be seated. So Jesus never wasted a miracle. You know, Jesus doesn't do miracles to show off. Uh, he always has a point to everything that he does. And every, every miracle that Jesus does is done to reveal himself in, in some capacity. And so he really wants the disciples to know who he is. And he wants them to know what, what he's come to do. And so he's revealing his power to them because he wants them to learn to trust him in the storms that are inevitably coming their way. So here's what I want to do this morning. I think there's a lot that right in this passage that we can learn from the storms of life. And, um, and I want to just share with you just three, just three simple lessons, if you will, about the storms of life. And here, here's really the first one. I, I think what we see in this passage is, is very plainly, very, very just simply, Jesus is Lord over the storms. He is Lord over the storms. No matter what storm comes in your life, the storms answer to him. Now, here's, here's kind of the scene. The disciples are in the, in the boat with Jesus, and uh, some of these disciples are very experienced fishermen. They had, they'd been on the Sea of Galilee day in and day, out, day, day, in and day out. So, so they, they, they're very experienced with, with, with the sea. They, they know the situation there. And what's interesting about the Sea of Galilee is that it's 700 feet below sea level. And then just 32 miles to the north is Mount Hermon, which is, which is 9,200 feet in elevation. So what you have is you have the cold air from the mountains coming down and colliding with the warm air of the sea. And it just creates a very volatile situation where storms can just crop up in, in, in just a second. And, and so, the, you know, the, the disciples, most of them understand this. They've experienced this. They've lived this. They, they've already acclimated to it. But apparently, this storm was unusual. Because I want you to notice how the disciples respond to Jesus while they're in their boat. And you see this in, in, in 38. They, they woke him and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And so, so apparently they've been through the storms, but, but according to the commentaries on this, th this must have been hurricane force winds. That They must have had 10 to 15 feet swells uh, just all around them because they're afraid they're going to die. So this is, this is an unusual situation uh, for them. So they wake him up. Jesus is asleep, which is interesting. We'll talk about that in just a minute. And so he wakes up and he rebukes the wind and the waves. And he says to the wind and waves, peace be still. And, and what Mark tells us is immediately the wind ceased and then there was a great calm over, over the sea. Now, there are two astonishing things to this. And I think the first one is this, that Jesus, the picture that Mark gives us here is Jesus doesn't stand back and then roll up his sleeves and, you know, get his staff out and start chanting the, you know, shouting this incantation, you know, kind of like Gandalf in the Lord of the Rings. You know what I mean? He, like, he doesn't have to do that. He's, he's really unconcerned. He's unfazed by the power of the storm. He just stands up and he says three words peace be still that's all he says now if you were to look that up in the greek the greek would be sit down and shut up basically is what it would be um, in the greek but but you just notice the ease 
in which he speaks to the elements. And it's astonishing. The second thing you notice is that the wind and waves immediately obey him. Because what Mark tells us is that instantaneously there was a great calm. So apparently we're going from hurricane force winds, 10 feet swells, to a great calm. That's how powerful the word of Jesus is. That when he speaks, things move. And uh, that's exactly what you see. Now, anybody that spent time on the ocean or, you know, if you spent any time on the lake, you know that it takes a while for a lake or, a, you know, an ocean to kind of calm down after a storm moves through. I mean, it takes a few hours for everything to kind of settle down. But apparently not when Jesus speaks to it. Because you had a sea of glass right on the Sea of Galilee. And so, and so there's just... What you see here is a picture of the infinite power of Jesus over creation. You see the power of his very word, his spoken word, that his word is his deed. Now, there's so much working here on, on so many different levels. I mean, I think if you think about the Jewish perspective on the ocean and on the sea, the Jewish perspective was the ocean and the sea was so dark that it, it really symbolized everything dark, everything evil in the world because they didn't really understand what was underneath it. And so they, their interpretation of the sea and, and, and the ocean was that this was really symbolizes everything that's, that's just evil and sinful and dark in the world. And Jesus is reigning over it like he speaks and, it's, and it just immediately goes to calm. And I think what we learn from this very practically is Jesus is Lord of the storms of life. He's Lord over it. I mean, Jesus is not invoking a higher power here. He is the higher power. He, he doesn't just calm the wind and waves. He created the wind and waves. He holds the wind and waves together by the power of his word, Colossians says. And so the picture that we have here is the lion roaring and the wind and waves obey him. Now, I, I think as we just consider the implications of this, I, I think they're, they're numerous and, and they're, they're profound. And I think, I think first we could kind of think about this, that the reality for us is life is a series of storms. That is really what life is. Have you guys figured that out yet? I mean, you know what I mean? Like you go, literally life is going from one storm to the next. And maybe you're in a calm season right now. Praise be to God. You might as well enjoy it while you got it, right? Because chances are you're getting ready to go right into a storm. And so, and so life is just a series of storms. And you hope, you know, in the back of your mind, in the depths of your heart, you're hoping that the storm doesn't eventually just take you out, right? I mean, that's kind of what we're all thinking, what we're all hoping, like something so big doesn't come my way, you know, that, that I'm literally just overwhelmed and, and flooded out with it. And maybe, you know, maybe that's where you are today. You know, maybe right now you're sitting in the storm and you're waiting on test results. You're waiting for your doctor to call you. Or you've got a meeting with your boss tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock and you never have meetings with your boss on Mondays at 8 o'clock. But you do tomorrow. Or maybe there's just uncertainty in your marriage and uh, that just leaves a question mark with everything. Maybe, maybe you're working two jobs and you're just trying to get by financially and you can't keep your head above the water. These are the realities that we are all facing. And um, 
you know, the truth is this, you, you really do have a couple of options. You know, when you think about it, when you're at that spot, you, you have a couple of options. I mean, you could, you could go with the message of culture. You know, you could choose that. And, and what is, what's the message of culture? The, the message of culture is we're just accidents of creation, right? Like we just evolved from millions of years of species and there's no objective meaning. There's no real purpose in life. You know, there's no God. There's no absolute right or wrong. You just live and die. And that's it. And, and you know, you can go with that. that, that that's, the, that's the message of the world. That's what we hear every single day. You, you, could, you could choose that. I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't advise it because if you carry that out all the way to the end, it does not lead to a good place. It's not logical. Or... If Jesus is who he said he, that he is, if he's Lord of the storm, then the only safe place is in him. That's the only safe place. I mean, if he's Lord over the storm, the only place where you're going to find stability and security is in him and he in you. It really is. I mean, you think about it, if Jesus is Lord, then that means we are created for a purpose. That means he created us for a reason. That means that our choices matter. That life does have meaning and purpose to it, right? That, that, that God is real, that God is with us, that, that our choices here and now matter. And death is not the end, right? That our life here is really preparation for eternity. That's, that's the reality of Jesus' lordship in my life. And, and that, that one day, God's gonna take the brokenness that we see in creation and he's gonna, he's gonna fix it. He's gonna renew it and restore this broken place. It's the only worldview that makes, that makes objective sense. And so that's what Jesus' lordship means. And it really means Safety and security are only found in him. Secondly, Jesus is not just Lord of the storm, but he, I think what we see here in this passage, he allows the storm. Jesus allows the storm. Let me show this to you in verse 35. Notice how Mark describes this. He, he says it this way. He says, on that day when evening had come, he, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. So it was Jesus' idea that they're going to sail, they're going to just scoot right across the Sea of Galilee. It's completely his idea. And so leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and uh, the other boats were with him. And then a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling up with water. Now, this is completely his idea. Jesus steers them right in the middle of the storm. Now, this is interesting because sometimes we get the idea that if I follow Jesus, my life's going to be easy. That if I follow Jesus, you know, that he's not going to, he's going to lead me around storms. You know what I mean? He's going to make my life comfortable and easy. I don't know what Bible you're reading, but that's not, that's not the Bible, right? That is really not Christianity. You get in Jesus' boat, he's going to take you right in the middle of the storm. And it's here that I really need to make an important distinction, Jesus being Lord of the storm doesn't mean he caused the storm. You know, sometimes I can make stupid choices in my life. I'm pretty good at that. And I can cause my own storms, thank you very much. I don't need anybody else's help. I could just do it myself. 
Or sometimes other people can create storms for me by their choices that they make. And, and, then, and then sometimes God puts me right in the middle of the storm because he wants to test me. He wants to grow me. He wants to show himself to me. But regardless of the cause of the storm, here's, here's really where you can take a lot of peace and solace in is, is just in the reality that there are no circumstances that come your way without his permission. None. There are no circumstances that come your way without his permission. Everything that happens to you, church, is father-filtered. It really is. And what the Bible says is that God wants to use it for good in your life if you trust him. And you may not know what that good is immediately or even within a couple of years. I mean, you may not know it on your timetable. But his promise is this, that all things work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So, so what we really see is Jesus is letting the storm rage around the disciples. He lets the wind pound the boats. He, he lets the water come into the boats. And he, he, he's doing all of this. He's, he, he's letting the waves, you know, toss them back and forth. He's allowing that because he wants to show them something. What's really interesting is he does this all while he's sleeping, which is a really good trick, by the way. Um, he really does that. You know, have you noticed when you go through a storm, it always seems like God's asleep? You, you know what I mean? Am I the only one that thinks that? You know, like, God, where are you, right? You, you've abandoned me. And, um, and so that's, that's kind of what happens. We, we think God's forgotten us. We think God is mad at us at something, right? We think... We, we think He's, you know, kind of left us in the dark or he's asleep at the will. He's just not paying attention. And this is why the disciples asked, Lord, don't you care that we're perishing? They're already questioning the goodness of God. They really are. And, um, and so they ask him, don't, don't you care what, what's happening? And, and so I, I don't know if you felt this way in the storm, but it's very common to feel this way. And, and, and not only that you feel like God's a million miles away, but but even if you know he's with you, then the other part of the storm is God's timetable for getting you out of the storm, right? It's like he's never in a hurry to get us out of the storm. Have you figured that one out? It's like he's, he seems always slow, you know what I mean? It's like, come on, God, I need you to pick up the pace. I need to get, I need to get out of this. Well, there, there are a couple of things I, I think we can kind of learn from Jesus allowing the storms. And I, and I think the first one is this. We, we don't need to be surprised by the storms, we, we don't need to be shocked that we're going to enter into a storm sometime this week or this month or this year, as if something strange were happening to us, right? Uh, we don't need to be shocked about that. I think probably the most painful part of the storm is the shock that it's happening to us in the first place, right? And, and so we start questioning God's goodness. God, why would you allow this to happen to me? You know, God, you, you can't be good, I mean, look at, look at all that I've done for you, and this is what I get in return. And so, and so we just are, we allow that surprise to just overwhelm us. And, and so what we know is this, that we have little control over the storms of life, but we, we very much have control over our perspective in the middle of the storm. And I think that's essentially what Jesus is working here. Is he wants the disciples to come to see the storm from, from 
a point of view. Let me, let me, let me kind of explain what I mean. John 16, 33, uh, Jesus says this. He says, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. He says, in, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Now, he, he doesn't say, you know, you know, you're not going to have trouble because I was not able to overcome the world. He doesn't say that. He, he doesn't say, you know, I overcame the world, so you should not have any trouble anymore. He doesn't say that. What he's saying is, in this world, we will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. And what he's saying is, he's saying this. He's saying, you're going to go through storms, but you can be encouraged because I'm in you and you're in me and I overcame the storm. And if I overcame the storm, that means you're going to overcome the storm because you're in me. That's what he's saying. That, that, that in reality, the storms that we go through are not going to win. They're not going to in, invariably pull us under for good. That God is allowing it and God is using it and that God is working through it for a purpose. And that's the second truth that I think we learn from God, allowing the storm, that God wants to grow us in the storms. He, he's really working on our faith. He's building our faith. And so in every problem, there's a purpose. And we just have to trust him, even though we can't see it. And we may not see it. In fact, you could think of it this way. God uses circumstances to shape our character and to build up our faith. In fact, I would say that he uses circumstances to shape our character and build our faith more than he uses the word of God to shape our character and build our faith. You're like, how is that? Very simply, we have to manage circumstances 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So God is using those things all the time, every minute of the day, to grow our faith and to shape and mold our character. And so the truth is this, you know, your most profound and intimate times of worship will be during your darkest days. They will. Because you'll be at the end of your rope, you, you, you'll, you will realize there's no way out humanly possible, right? You need God more than anything else. And sometimes God has to bring us to that point so that we see what's really important and what's really not important in life. And, uh, you know, as I think about the testimony of Scripture on this, I think about how easy it could have been, you know, for God to keep Joseph out of jail, if you know the story of Joseph. He, he could have easily kept Daniel out of the lion's den. He could have kept the three Hebrew men out of the fiery furnace, right? He could have kept Paul from being shipwrecked three times. He could have done all of that. But what I know is he uses the storms in life to remind us to rely on him and trust in him. To, to depend on him every single day. And those were the lessons he wanted those men to learn which is why he took them through uh, those situations. And so I, I really think that what this does is it really starts to give us perspective. It helps us to see the big picture, right? Sometimes we're, we're so caught in the storm, we're so surrounded by the storm, we're so focused on the wind and waves, if you will, that we lose, you know, the big picture. You know, I, I'm real excited um, because we're 27 days away from the start of football season, and I am absolutely thrilled. 
with that. Um, I don't know. I don't know why. It seems like it's been 10 years since football season. But, um, but I, I don't know if you've noticed, you know, if you're watching a game, you notice all the coaches wear headsets on the sideline, right? You ever notice that? And they're, they're all talking to each other. They're talking to a group of cult- coaches that are up in the press box. Now, now, why in the world do they do that? Well, they do it because the worst place to watch a football game is on the sideline because you can't see anything. And what you need is you need somebody to give you the big picture, especially during a football game, right? You need somebody constantly communicating to you to bring you back to the big picture so you can see reality clearly because, man, I'm just telling you on the sideline, you can't see hardly anything. And that's exactly what God wants us to have is in the middle of the storm to talk to him because he sees the big picture and he calls us to trust in him for what we can't see. So Jesus is Lord over the storm. Jesus allows the storm. And here's the most important. Number three, we need to trust Jesus in the storm. We need to trust him in the storm. Look at verse 39. And the wind ceased and there was, there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Have you still no faith? He asked. And so, you know, he's looking at them and he just kind of asks a question that I, I think really cuts them to the heart. He's, you know, he, he brings out the fact that, you know, you're not choosing faith. And it's like he's saying, you know, you've been with me this long. You've seen the miracles that I've done. You've seen the people that, that have been healed, right? You, you've heard me teach the secrets of the kingdom of God. And you still have no faith? You're still choosing not to believe? And it's almost like Jesus is saying, is, he, he, it's almost like he's saying, look, you have enough knowledge, but you've got to step out in faith and trust what you know about me. You, you don't know everything. You don't have all the questions answered. You're not going to have all the questions answered until you step into eternity. But even what you know, trust me, make the choice of faith. And he's asking them, why haven't you made that choice? Why haven't you made the choice to trust me? And I think he's helping us to see that faith is not a feeling. Faith is not a warm fuzzy, right? Faith is not a quiver in your liver. You know, he, he's not chiding them for saying, you know, in the storm, you guys should have felt tranquility. He's not saying that. But what he is saying is, why don't you make the choice to trust me? You see, trust is a choice that we make. It's an act of our will. And I think what Jesus is hinting at here is you have enough knowledge of me. You've seen me heal the leper. You've seen me, you know, cast out demons. You've heard me teach. You've done all of this. You have enough knowledge to act on what you know and to put your faith in me. And that's exactly what faith is. It's acting on what you know. It's living the light that God has given to you and choosing to trust in him in the midst of the storm. Now, I think, you know, I think there's some of you here today, um, you know, you've been, you've been with us for a while and, you know, you, you're here just about every Sunday and, yeah, I'm sure your parents drag you to church and, you know, um, 
all of that. But the thing that I know is that there are a number of you that have never made the choice to commit your life to Christ. You've never made that choice. And my question is this, what are you waiting on? Like, like what are you, what's holding you back? You have enough knowledge of God to act on that and make that step of faith. You do. You absolutely do. I mean, just think about what we know about Jesus. Do you know that Jesus actually lived? That he is, according to secular historians, he actually lived in Israel 2,000 years ago. He actually died on a Roman cross. Secular historians confirm that. Do you know that Jesus rose from the dead? We have, we have eyewitness accounts of that. We know that the religious leaders of the day wanted nothing more than to go in his tomb and get his body out so that they could put an end to the Christian movement and message that Jesus had been raised from the dead. They would have loved to have done that, but they couldn't do it. Do you know why? There wasn't a body in his grave. They didn't have a body to produce. And, and, and when you think about the fact that, you know, normally when someone dies, normally their influence diminishes the longer the time goes by after their death. That always happens. Always happens. So when someone dies, the more time that elapses, the more their influence diminishes in human history. It's every single historical figure who's ever lived except for one. Who is that? Jesus. Jesus was more influential and more impactful 100 years after his death, 500 years after his death, 2,000 years after his death. His impact just keeps going and going and going as the kingdom expands. Isn't that incredible when you think about it? Jesus completely reversed the trajectory. The thing that I know is Jesus impacts your life every single day, whether you follow him or not. He, he impacts your life. You take Jesus out of world history and we have a very different world. Did you know that? I mean, I mean think about science. You know, a lot of people today, I, I, I've never really understood this, uh, uh, but a lot of people, what they do is they take science and they pit science against Christianity. They, they pit science against, you know, religion for some reason. And, and the reality of it is this, that, that the, the modern discipline of science, scientific study was birthed out of Christianity. Because you had Christian, you know, Christian smart people, some really smart people saying, you know what, we've studied creation and it points to a very complex and intricate design, which ultimately points to a designer. And, uh, and so from what we see from Galileo to Faraday to Pascal to Einstein, so many leading scientists, both past and present, have been people of faith. There's no conflict between Christianity and science. Jesus created science. You think about education today. Um, you know, we, we take Greek and Roman literature for granted that we can read Greek and Roman literature today. Do you know why we can read it? 
Do you know why we have access to ancient literature, the classics from Greece and Rome? The reason why is because Christian monks found it, Christian monks copied it, Christian monks preserved it so that we could have it today. Do you know that the very first universities in the world that were ever founded were founded by Christians for the glory of God? Because they believed that creation could be known just as God could be known. And they had an insatiable desire for knowledge and thirst. Interestingly enough, you would never know this today, but uh, the first 120 universities in the United States of America were founded by Christians to advance uh, the Christian faith. Harvard, Princeton, Yale, very much at the top of the list. But you would never know that today. You think about our government, just the American system of government, our American democracy today, um, whose influence looms the most over the government today? Who's it? John Adams? Nope. George Washington, Thomas Jefferson? Nope, nope. Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, Christianity shaped and formed the current system of our government more than anything else. Our founding fathers believed that uh, we were created equal with certain unalienable rights that were given to us by God, not by government. Because if they were given to us by government, they could be taken away, but they saw something bigger. They realized that the rights that we have for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness were granted to us by God himself and should be recognized by the government. And just the whole thought that you are innocent until proven guilty, you know, just the whole concept of our judicial system based on scripture and so the preservation of human rights democratic principles british common law the magna carta all flowed out of a christian worldview influenced by scripture i I, church i could go on and on with these i could do this all day long you pull jesus out of history and man we have a very very different life here on earth and so I, I i say all of that just to just to ask this question what more do you need what more do you need to trust jesus the lord over the storms what more does he need to do you have enough knowledge you experience the knowledge of god every single day you have enough knowledge to say I'm going to trust him as my Lord and Savior. It doesn't mean you have all the answers. None of us do. It doesn't mean all your questions are answered. It doesn't mean you don't have doubt. Of course you have questions, and of course you need to grow. But the reality is, he's Lord of the storm, and you can trust him in the storm. And um, the thing about it is, you know, as the disciples really struggled to, to trust him in the storm, we have a distinct advantage over the disciples. You see, they didn't know about the cross that day in the storm. But we do. What we know is Jesus went through a storm infinitely greater than any storm we would ever go through. And he went through it for us. And he allowed that storm to take him down so that we wouldn't have to be taken down. That's how much he loves you. That's what he's that's what he's done for you. That's what Mark points to. And with love like that, 
whatever storm you're in right now, I just want to tell you, you're safe in him. You're safe in him. So take that step to trust him. Commit your whole life to him. Turn away from doing life on your own and following your own plan and turn to him and let him get you safely through the storm. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, there's so much going on in our world today. There's so many storms on so many different fronts. Thank you, God, for reminding us that in this world we, we will have tribulation. But we are encouraged because we know you've overcome the world. And I just pray that you would give us grace, that you would give us faith, that you would give us your mercy to choose to trust you today. Because the only safe place in this world is in the shadow of the Almighty. And so God, I thank you that you know every storm that every heart today is facing. You know the fear, you know the anxiety, you know the guilt, the shame, you know about depression. God, you know, you, you know it all. You know exactly where we are today. And thank you that in the midst of the storm, you are with us. And thank you that in you, we have security and stability. And so God, we just take our hands off and we trust in you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for the storm you went through for us. Fill us with faith today. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen.